0: recognize some of these. And some of them were helpful, and some just weren't. It's not that they were bad things. It just led me to have some wrong ideas and expectations about prayer. And some, I think, really led to having a crisis of faith. Now, I grew up being told to pray with my eyes closed. The Bible never says you have to do that. I was told to pray with my hands folded in my lap. Doesn't say you have to do that. I was told to pray before every meal. Doesn't say you have to do that. None of those things are bad things. I remember especially about praying before, you know, being out with some of my non-Christian friends, and everybody just started eating, and I'm like, Jesus, bless this food. Thank you so much for it. You know, and you, like, try to whisper a really fast prayer, um, because I was like, if I don't pray over my food, it's going to be poisoned or something. I'm going to die, you know? If I'm not thankful for it, God may never give me food again. You know, all these weird things you develop. And I don't think these rules around prayer were bad, they were intended for good, but many times I developed some really unhealthy things about prayer because of them. Um, And even though they can be helpful, and maybe a little harmful at times, none of them are commanded. It's not like prayer has to be that way. It was often hard for me to tell the difference between the things God commanded about prayer, it was hard for me to tell the difference between that and the methods that people taught me to fulfill the commands. I couldn't tell the difference between the methods that people taught and the commands that God gave. Prayer for me, as a young person, as a young adult, became a lot about unbiblical rules and expectations. How I could meet people's expectations about how I should pray or what I should say, it became about people watching me and making sure I was measuring up to their spiritual expectations for my life. The last week, why are we talking about prayer? Last week, we kicked off a new series about prayer, and I shared how increasingly cynical I have become about prayer over the last few years. Somewhere between my 20s and my 40s, life got really difficult. It wasn't easy anymore. It suddenly got real. People I knew were dying or suffering. I was suffering and going through things that I never thought I would. My life wasn't turning out exactly like I imagined my 20s with my vision board, and unconsciously, at least at first, I began to think, what's the point of talking to God if it's not going to make your life easier? And maybe you think something like that today, maybe you're scared to admit that, God's not going to strike you down, he can handle it. And I started this series because I want to recapture my love of prayer, and I want to instill in you a new, deeper appreciation for prayer. So, one of those ways I was taught to pray in church growing up was what? to pray the Axe Method. Anybody remember this? I think we can oh, slide. So. Why did all the uh, church graphics from the 90s look like they were made of Microsoft Paint? I don't know why. Maybe they weren't. Were. Because they were. Okay, that's why. Um, anybody remember this one? The Axe Method? Yeah. 90s Christianity, man. That's what they taught me. No one loves an acronym like 90s Christianity. It wasn't spiritual unless it was an acronym in 90s Christianity. And um, none of these things are bad, but they were told that every prayer should start with adoration, followed by confession, followed by thanksgiving, followed by supplication, and you go, what the heck is supplication? They didn't know either, they just knew that it fit the acronym, and so they had to use an S word. Um, Supplication is just an old-timey word for asking for stuff.
1: And so essentially what this
0: model taught me, subconsciously I think, is none of these things are bad, but the trajectory of your prayer was to start by greasing God's palms and then getting down to what you want. Like you praise him a little bit, you thank him a little bit, you confess anything that might be in the way, and then he'll give you what you want. Maybe that's not what they intended, but that's what I took away from them. I was never taught that some prayers should just be about elevating God in my mind. You should have some prayers that don't have to follow this model. They're just about recentering on who God is, much he loves you there are private prayers and public prayers there's a prayers where you sit down and focus and prayers where you reach out to god because you're like oh my gosh my vespa just wiped out and i'm about to hit this pavement Uh, those are just as legitimate as prayers where you sit down and pray for a long time different types of prayers for different types of situations there are prayers where you beg god and there should be prayers where you do nothing but meet with god Praise Him, elevate Him, adore Him, and remember how much He loves you. We need prayers where we don't ask for anything but God Himself. Now, God isn't shallow. He's not like, I need prayers just about me sometimes. You guys ask for too much. Give me a prayer more prayers about me. God doesn't need prayers to prop up some insecure ego. He's the most secure and comfortable person on the planet. Dallas Willard once described Jesus in one word as this, relax. He's a God who doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. He's not worried about appearances. He's fully relaxed. But we need to be reminded about who God is and who we are in comparison. We need to be reminded about who God is and how small our deepest fears are in comparison. A.W. Tozer said, A low view of God, entertained almost universally among Christians, is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles, and a rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way towards curing them. We need to be reminded about who God is. We need to constantly remind ourselves about who he is. Our modern world is designed in such a way to make us forgetful of God, so we must be intentional about remembering him. The Bible presents the world as currently under the dark reign of an medieval spiritual being called the devil or the Satan. Those are just Hebrew words that mean the adversary or the accuser. And it presents him in stories as mostly convincing people that God didn't say something that he did, or convincing them that God did say something that he didn't. Go back and look at the Old Testament stories. Every time that the devil, the Satan, shows up, This is what he does. He says, did God really say that? Or he says, you know what? This is what you are. This is what God thinks about you. And both are lies. They're primarily about convincing us that God is not who he said he is. In other words, the devil's primary method of attack is to get you to forget what God is like. So last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer in Luke. And i mentioned that it's also found in matthew but a slightly different version scholars think that jesus taught on prayer multiple times throughout his ministry as he traveled as a rabbi he would bring the same teachings up over and over again and sometimes between the gospels you see where he gives the same message slightly different in a different place to a different audience research shows that the average person needs to hear a message at least seven times before they take action man that's usually how many times Darby has to ask me to do something. She's like, hey, you love these drums on this counter. And about by the seventh or eighth time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should get those drums off the counter. Hearing different reiterations of the same message helps it sink in. And so the people who traveled with Jesus, as they heard this teaching on prayer over and over again, it probably really sucked in. If you ever felt like, well, how did the disciples remember how to write all this down? How did they remember? They were with Jesus three years, and he kept saying the same things over and over again as he went from town to town to town. To the point where, when Jesus would stand up and give his speech, when he would give his message about the good news of the kingdom, the disciples were like, "Oh, I know what's coming next. I know this next line. Oh, this is a really good part. He always lands this line so well." I remember Darby. Well, when we were dating, she was in a play, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and um, there were three shows on one day, and so. Being the good boyfriend, I went and attended all three that day, and by the third one that day, I was like quoting along with it, I was singing along with it, I knew this next line was going to get a laugh, I would like wait for it. Think about the disciples, three years hearing the same messages of Jesus over and over again, they knew it like the back of their hand. We're going to look at these verses, though, leading up to the Matthew version of the Lord's prayer today. This is in Matthew 6, 5-8, through these verses come right before Jesus teaches, the our Father. Here's what it says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Remember, that's what we want. We want to be people who love to pray. But they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners wide, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If all you want is to please people, that's all you'll get out of life. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, you don't have to keep on babbling like the pagans. Um, Side note, sometimes when I really want something, I get obsessed with it, and it's all I talk about. Um, Yeah, I I might have a little something. But uh, i just like obsessed with it, and I can't think about anything else until I get it, and then I get something more with it, and I get something new. Um, And so a lot of times with Darby, when she's like, "We don't need to spend money on it. Do you need another video game console? Do you need another board game? Do you need another whatever? Fill in the blank. Whatever it is this month. And I'm like, hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. I'm talking about it. Hey, have you seen it? I mean, and she just didn't get it. Like, <laughs> make it stop. He says, that's not how you need to talk to God. You don't need to keep battling to God. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Now, I kicked off this series by saying I wanted to recapture my love of prayer. And here we have people who love prayer, but they love it for the wrong reasons. There's a way of praying that is all about us and not about God and enjoying being in his presence. There's a way of praying that is all about appearing spiritual instead of being spiritual. For the hypocrites, Jesus is calling out, Prayer became about what people thought about them instead of being a reset for what they thought about God. Jesus uses this word "hypocrites," and as far as we can tell in history, Jesus was the first person in history to use the word "hypocrite" in a religious sense. Hypocrite is just the Greek word for actor. Like they heard the word "hypocrite" anytime you went to a stage play, they'd be like, "Today's actors are, you know, Vesuvius over here, and he's, a, he's our hypocrite." But it wasn't a negative word, it just meant actor. Jesus was the first person to use this Greek word um, as a negative as a re- in a religious sense. He essentially said there are some people who are playing in part, praying as performance, rather than praying as the lifeblood of their relationship with God. They sounded good, they looked good, but they were pretending they weren't praying. For some of us, our prayers are empty because our motivation to pray is purely selfish, purely shallow. For some of us, we pray because we believe if we pray, somehow it strong arms God into giving us what we want, into blessing us. I've talked about this many times in church. The big lie of religion, and I'm going to keep talking about it because it's so ingrained into our culture and our society. What's the big lie of religion? The big lie of religion. If you keep the rules. Your life will be easy, comfortable, and safe. The only problem with that is Jesus kept all the rules, and his life was not easy, comfortable, or safe. Many of us pray not because we want to be with God, but because we were taught that reading our Bible and praying somehow guarantees us an easier life. Prayer is not some magic thing that you do in order so that people think you're spiritual and somehow God will give you what you want. And that sounds really nice until tragedy strikes, because Jesus never promised that being his apprentice would lead to an easy life, but he did promise that it would lead to a more abundant life, a life that can sustain the ups and downs of human existence. Now, I don't think it's wrong to ask God for things. In fact, in a few weeks, that's exclusively what we're going to talk about, supplication. I had to throw it in again. It's such a weird word. No one uses supplication unless you're trying to make an academic. Asking God for things is okay. Jesus repeatedly talked about his father being a generous dad and loves to give good gifts. But at its most essential level, prayer is not about getting what you want from God. It is about humans agreeing with God about who he is and what he is like. There is something in us that is reset when we pray and we stop and we remind ourselves who God is, who Jesus is. Over 350 times in Scripture, we are told to remember because our human tendency is to forget that God is good, to forget that God is powerful, to forget that God is for us and not against us, that God loves us and doesn't hate us. We need to remember. Humans are forgetful by nature. In 1885, Hermann Ebenhaus designed a mathematical formula called the Forgetting Curve. Anybody know about the Forgetting Curve? It affects you every single day. Most of us don't know about it. The forgetting curve demonstrated the rate at which information is forgotten over time if you don't actively attempt to retain it. So if you just hear something and you're not actively like flashcard trying to remember it, how quickly will you forget? Anybody have any ideas, any guesses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like a media, doesn't get it? Some studies suggest that humans forget approximately 50% of any new information they receive within an hour of learning. So as you sit down to lunch, an hour from now, you'll remember about half of what I said this morning. Within 24 hours, you'll remember, less than 70, you'll remember less than 30%. 70% of it will be completely gone in 24 hours. By the next day after that, if someone asks you, hey, what was the message on Sunday about? You'd say, I think we're in a series about prayer. And that's it. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm going to leave now. This is a waste of time. Right. If we don't actively work to remember, we will forget. That's how our minds work. We must actively remind ourselves that God is good. The human brain is selective; it has a very limited capacity when it comes to deciding what to store in memory. Particular pieces of information, um, the brain can be quite cheeky about which it chooses, and this naturally accelerates the forgetting curve. It's the two things accelerate it: stress and lack of sleep. But there is one thing that the mind is really good at remembering. Does anyone have a guess? What does the mind always remember? When when your next meal is. When your next meal is? I don't know. I know some people who seem to always forget (laughs) their next meal. Um, Really bad stuff. You could go to 100 church services and not remember anything about the message, but go to one where someone treats you like garbage and you'll remember that to the rest of your life. Isn't the brain great? I think we have a little cartoon up here where your heart is like, look, brain, look at all the good stuff. And the brain says, not now. Can't you see I'm busy? I'm obsessed over this one bad thing. Research shows that humans often remember negative or traumatic experiences over positive ones, and they're not quite sure why. Scientists so can't figure it out. The uh, New Testament authors might say, this is the consequence of sin and death in our world. We focus on the negative instead of the positive. But some scientists think this persistent recall of negative emotions and memories might be some kind of evolutionary defense mechanism, like, we we need to know where the threats are, we know we got hurt over here, we don't want to get hurt again. Regardless of why we have it, it can obviously lead to psychological issues like depression and anxiety because our brain fixates on the bad and we're looking past a host of good in order to only see the bad. Just think about this with me for a minute. You have forgotten more good things that God has done for you than you can remember. There were marvelous moments where God intervened and it made you feel so happy and so loved and so seen, so like a child that has been doted on by a loving father, and you have forgotten completely about it. Sometimes I go back and I read old journals. And uh, as I'm reading the things I wrote, I find a story, and it's like I'm reading someone else's life. Sometimes I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Sometimes a little bit of it, I'm like, oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. And I, I read this story about how God intervened, or God showed up, or how I felt so seen, or I asked for something, and there it was. And I was like, how did I forget that? We are forgetful people. Have you ever known a verbal processor? Someone who – like, they have to start talking to figure out what they're thinking, and they they talk a whole bunch, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. They have to talk it out loud to figure out what they think about. I'm a written processor. I really don't know how I think or feel about anything until I put it down on paper, actually write about it, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that's what I mean. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm feeling. I think every human being is a prayerful processor. We're designed to process what we are feeling and thinking and experiencing in the presence of God in a conversation with God. We need moments where we recenter ourselves to the universe's true north. We need moments to remember that Yahweh is God, that we're not. We need moments to remember all that God has done for us. We need moments to remember that everything doesn't depend on us, but everything depends on Him, and He can handle it, and He is faithful. We need to pray, not because God needs us to pray. He's like, my prayer energy is getting low. More people need to pray. No. We need to pray because if we do not pray, we will never find any steadiness in our lives. Remembering what God is like, remembering what God has done for us is the bedrock of our entire spiritual lives are built on. Robert michelle said this: You must try to pray so that in your prayer you open yourself in such a way that sometimes Perhaps not today, but perhaps sometime in the future, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. Those words addressed to you by God are some of the most important words you will ever hear. Because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. darby has been watching this show these people come in as someone who's struggling in life and like we do their wardrobe and their, their hair, fix up their whole life and just give them a new perspective on life. And uh, she's been watching episode after episode. I was watching one with her last night and there was this older woman and she's just kind of like into her career. She doesn't even think about herself. And they just kept, every time they saw her, they kept saying like, you are beautiful. You are loved. You are wonderful. You're an amazing woman. And at one point in the show, she said, "She said, no one's ever told me that I'm beautiful and that I'm worthy of love. And she says, you've said it so much, I'm starting to believe it. And I think, how often do we need to hear that from other people? But even more so than that, if we can hear that from God, it changes something inside of you. It changes something about what you think about yourself and how you live and think. That's why we go to prayer. Because God is waiting to whisper, I love you. We don't hear it every day. You may not hear it at first. But if we keep going to prayer, if we keep recentering on God, if we keep remembering how good he is, there will be a moment where we hear, you are love, and it changes everything. Prayer is more than needing things. It's more than asking a genie in the sky to fix our problems. Notice what Jesus taught here. Your father already knows what you need. That's what he said. He said, when you pray, you don't always have to say what you need. Because he knows. You don't have to ask. He knows. You can just run into his arms. Sometimes you can't even get the words out. When our daughter is hurt, she doesn't have to tell me what happens. As soon as that tear hits her eye and she runs to me, I pick her up in my arms. She sometimes lacks the vocabulary to even say what's wrong with her. She doesn't even know how to express it. But she comes to me, and I open up my arms. I lift her up. I kiss her boo-boos. I tell her she is loved. I tell her she is safe. Prayer is focusing on God. So that everything else in our life is recentered around the bedrock truth that the creator loves us. Every week in this series we have homework, and I want to encourage you to continue praying your prayers each day, starting with the Lord's Prayer, um, but then I want you once a day to stop and focus on one aspect of God's nature. you've got a worksheet on your seat, I want you to write down three things you're thankful for. Gratitude often stimulates our minds to remember. When I write something down, you have a higher likelihood to remember it. And finally, I want you to stop at least once a day. You just stop, imagine God, and imagine him saying, I love you. As I think about God in my mind's eye, there's a passage I often go to. This passage tells me imagine God and a vision being in His presence. I just want you to close your eyes, if you feel comfortable. If you're listening to this, or watching, or if you're here, and just listen to me read this. This is Isaiah six one through five. I saw Yahweh sitting on a very high and wonderful throne. Its long robe filled the temple. Seraphim and angels stood around Him. Each angel had six wings, and they had two wings to cover their faces, two wings to cover their body. And two wings to fly and the angels were calling to each other holy 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 is yahweh the all-powerful his glory fills the whole earth and as they spoke the sound was so loud it caused the frame around the door to shake and the temple was filled with smoke and i was frightened and i said oh no i'm going to be destroyed i'm not pure enough to speak with god I'm not pure enough to stand in his presence i live among the people who are not pure enough to speak with him But I have seen Yahweh, the King, the Lord, all-powerful, and I am done for. Now, you can open your eyes. The angels that shield their eyes before God, Isaiah, the prophet, great man of God, cries out in fear. But when we pray, we march into that scene. And God does not say, get out, you filthy sinner. He doesn't say, cower before me. He doesn't say, you better cover your face. He stoops down from his throne, and he says, I love you. Walk in my love today. That's why we pray. We need those moments. We need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. And he longs to say it to us. I love you, my child. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding us that you are good and you are God. And that you want a relationship with us. You did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it because of your love. Love is your motivating factor. John the Apostle, after spending his lifetime meditating on Jesus and his teachings, said this, God is...